630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. The schedule has landed. Yes, we know the Oilers' schedule for the upcoming season. Of course, the preseason games were announced a few days ago. Full regular season schedule for the NHL put out around 4.30 this afternoon. First game for the Oilers is at home. Start of a three-game homestand Wednesday, October 13th. They will be taking on the Vancouver Canucks. The Seattle Kraken, their first regular season appearance in Edmonton will be Monday, November 1st. The Toronto Maple Leafs coming to town in December. That'll be on December 14th. The Montreal Canadiens, the Stanley Cup finalists from the season that ended a few weeks ago. They are going to be at Rogers Place on Saturday, March 5th. Now, a couple of things to note here about the schedule it does include an olympic break so if you look at the oilers schedule in february they play on february 2nd and then don't have another game until february 23rd now here's the thing the nhl saying today is that there is nothing finalized for nhl players to go to the winter olympics so if that does not happen the nhl would then put out a revised schedule but right now there is an olympic break and it makes kind of a quirk here for Edmonton because they they obviously wouldn't be playing much in February and they would go over a month without a home game. They would play at home on January 26th and not play at home again until March 5th. In between that time, they would have the Olympic break and they would have eight road games. Obviously not an eight-game road trip since it's broken up by the Olympic break, but there's one thing to remember. They also have eight consecutive road games in the holiday season, and that's because the World Junior Tournament will be taking over Rogers Place. So before Christmas, the 22nd and 23rd, the Oilers go to L.A. and San Jose, and then from the 27th to January 5th, they're away for six consecutive games, including... New Year's Eve at the New Jersey Devils and then New Year's Day at the New York Islanders. So those are some of the highlights. A couple of six-game homestands for the Oilers. They have one in December and one in March. They do have uh, five consecutive road games as well in November, kind of around that rodeo time, even though the rodeo uh, no longer in Edmonton. And even if it were, it would not be in the uh, building that the Oilers play in, but they still kind of have their traditional rodeo road trip some of the highlights there battle of alberta four meetings against the calgary flames it's in edmonton october 16th it's in edmonton january 22nd it is at calgary the one game i already mentioned december 27th and then uh, again in calgary on march 26th the final game of the year is a home game april 28th again the schedule going deep into april because of the olympic break it'll be san jose in town the season actually ends on uh, the 29th so the oilers will not play on the actual final day of the regular season that's uh, some of the highlights for you uh, again seattle here November 1st, first time the Seattle Kraken will be regular season visitors at uh, at Rogers Place and uh, the home opener. It's a three-game homestand to start the season. October 13th, Vancouver, October 16th, Calgary, and October 19th, the Anaheim Ducks. And, of course, you're going to be back. Fans will be back in the building uh, starting with the preseason, which uh, 
begins for Edmonton in Calgary September 26th, home game September 28th against Seattle. Some of the highlights there, you can go to the story on 630chat.com, globalnews.ca, and get some more of the details. And the Oilers website breaks everything down for you as well. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Elks Radio 630 Ched. And uh, don't forget, we got an Elks game coming up on August 7th. We are slowly getting there. They will kick off their 14-game regular season against the Ottawa Red Blacks. The Elks uh, putting out some uh, photos today on social media, kind of the whole uh, picture day when the the players do the the photos for uh, all the promotional material and when they put guys up on the scoreboard and all those types of things. They do have the new helmets with the antlers. The jerseys are mostly the same except the numbers are white instead of gold the names and numbers are white instead of gold that really uh, stuck out to me today as i was looking at that and also you have to remember the jerseys are going to change next year and chris Preston, the president of the team has said with uh you know the pandemic and everything and uh you know the team being not having the funds they usually would that they'll be kind of another unveiling of jerseys for next season. They did the name this year. They did the helmet. They did the logo. And uh, there will be more to come, and and the jersey will be refined. So for now, the jersey looks a lot like it did before, except the uh, the name and number white instead uh, of gold on the back. So there's something going on with the Edmonton Elks. I should mention as well, uh, just to wrap up the thought here on the Oilers schedule, the, the Seattle Kraken only come to Rogers Place once. That, that game I mentioned on November 1st, that is uh, going to be the only visit. With the league expanding, and now it's four eight-team divisions, the Oilers will play some teams in their division four times. A couple of teams, Anaheim, Seattle, they're only going to play three times. So uh, if you want to see Seattle in town, at least in the regular season, you will only have that one opportunity. So just a note to remember there. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. You can email me, inside sports at 630chet.com. And that number to call or text, if you so desire, 780-496-0063. When you use the old telephone, you're using the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. All right, so... We have a lot of Oilers notes to get to today besides the schedule. And again, go to the website if you want to look at uh, all the games and get all, all the details. The, the start times for the games have uh, not all been announced, so that's another thing that's that's going to have to be released. But Ken Holland spoke today. In advance of the draft, the first round is tomorrow. We'll have coverage for you right here on 630 Chet. Our draft special is on from 5 to 9. The first pick going to be uh, just after 6 o'clock. Bob Stoffer and I will have it for you. And then additional coverage of rounds 2 through 7 will be 10 to noon on Saturday. So the Oilers will have the 19th selection. And General Manager Ken Holland commented on who he'd prefer to take at number 19. You know, I would say that we're probably won't draft a defenseman. Probably. You know, you never, you never know if somebody... You know, you do your ratings, Jason. Our scouts have been in here. I mean, they've been at it now for the last month with Zoom calls. Uh, they've been here all week. Uh, Tyler Wright, Bob Green, and, you know, Jim Cross and Mitch Holmgren but been talking to our, to our guys in Europe. Um, you know, we've got our overall list from, you know, one to, you know, the first round. You know, somebody, if a, if a defenseman that's, you know, high up on our, on our, on our board um, slides to 19, We'll probably take him, but I, I think if things go the way that we think they're going to go, um, I see us probably taking, <clears throat> excuse me, probably taking a forward. But again, you, you never, you never know. I mean, it's, 
if it's if we got a defenseman at, at 18 and we're picking 19 and probably lean towards a forward obviously we're going to take the best player available certainly with having you know Bouchard and and Broberg um you know Samarukov and there's some other young defensemen and you know we got some younger defensemen on our on our team um it would it would make us lean towards forwards but we'll we'll see now we didn't say anything about goaltenders there there's there's a lot of speculation could Sebastian Kosa from the Edmonton Oil Kings be available at number 19 and would the Oilers be interested I would think the Oilers would be interested obviously the later you pick the more moving pieces there are but if as Holland said if everything goes how he thinks it'll go then he thinks it's more likely there's going to be a forward there. Um, you know, I've seen some mock drafts that have Kosa going 19th to the Oilers. Uh, I, you know, I've, I think I've seen him go, going as high as 11 or 12. It could depend where Jesper Wallstedt, the excellent Swedish goaltender, gets picked. If a team's looking for a goalie and then Wallstedt's off the board, they may have to jump up and take Kosa. Um, so, you know, I, I think forward is a fair expectation, but I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see, you know, what the Oilers do if Sebastian Kosa is sitting there in their slot. Holland was asked, also asked today, would you trade that first rounder? Well, the first round pick won't be in play on a rental. You know, I guess more so on a hockey trade, would it be? Yes. Um, but I, I don't see us using it in a, in a, in a, in a rental. Ryan, part of, part of being my, my feeling is part of being good in a cap world is you need younger players you know cheaper players that's that's a part of the of, of the puzzle so that's that's certainly what that's that's what these first round picks and young prospects do they give you the you know maybe not today but next year at some point in time that's part of this that's a part of the solution so would i trade our first round pick between tonight and tomorrow night i guess if, if there was a deal there that, that that i thought made sense yeah today right now i've got nothing nothing uh, going with our with our first round pick so i'm not sure if that answers it so would i trade the first round pick yeah but i don't see it just for just for a little to, to have a little excitement for a, for a short period of time all right, I wouldn't trade the first round pick just to have a little excitement for a short period of time. A little bit there from Ken Holland looking ahead to tomorrow's draft. Let's look back to yesterday's expansion draft. Adam Larson signed and then claimed by the Seattle Kraken four years, $4 million per season. The Oilers were right there with the money on the deal. Larson deciding to depart. So I, I asked Ken Holland if he could kind of summarize how the negotiations had gone with Larson. You know, we started in the middle of January, so about the middle of February, I reached out to um, his agent, J.P. Barry, told him that I would like to sign him. You know, we, we, we talked. Somewhere on the road trip, I remember sitting down with, with Adam for, for an hour. I don't know, maybe it was one night in Calgary. You know, told him that we wanted him, wanted, wanted to sign him, wanted him back. Um, like all negotiations, you know, looked at you know, what the marketplace was for, um, you know, the type of player that he is, um, you know, the recent contracts, um, you know, and there was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12. Uh, you know, I made, I made an offer probably in March, um, you know, talked through April. You know, I, JP and I kind of talked, then, then sometime probably in April, JP, and Adam told me that they would like to 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 shut it down until uh, the end of the season. And 
um, that we, we, we picked up. And I thought we were very close to a deal. That certainly that was the indication that JP Barry gave me a month ago. And, and then sort of time went by and I asked, you know, JP where things were at. And he said that, you know, Adam just wanted to really be sure of, um, his decision, um, really wanted to know what his options were. And JP, um, told him that he wouldn't really know his options until the 28th of, of July. Um, then I made three or four or five different offers, um, through, through July, I guess, through June and July, you know, and then I, uh, uh, you know, added, you know, added a year and, 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 um, and ultimately about a week ago, I went to JP Barry and said that if Adam needed an opportunity to explore the market, I gave him the green light to, um, you know, and sent him an email giving him the, the, the green light to talk to other teams so that he could know what his options were in the hopes that he would find that his best option was, uh, was in Edmonton. And then obviously, uh, woke up, uh, to a text, um, yesterday morning, early yesterday morning from JP Barry saying that, um, the night before Adam had, had decided and uh, agreed to a deal with, um, Seattle. Yeah, so as I touched on yesterday, I think some genuine surprise in the Oilers organization that this didn't work out with Adam Larson. As as you kind of got from what Ken Holland just said, I, it seemed like there were numerous points along the way where they seemed close to having a deal, and Adam Larson ultimately decided to hold off and then look around, and uh, now he's gone. So uh, there is the latest on that. Mike Smith is coming back. What's going on with Zach Hyman? And how would you feel about that? I, I, I am really curious. I mean, we've had a lot of discussion about a few different players over the last few weeks. Um, two years for Mike Smith. No, the, the Oilers have not put out the uh, official statement on it yet, but they are working on that. And Holland did confirm it during the news conference today. And uh, if, if you're going for Hyman, for how long and for how much money? Because it seems like if the Oilers were going for Hyman, it would be for a pretty long time. 780-496-0063. Back after the break. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. 780-496-0063. Got a text here from a, an anonymous texter who says, instead of Zach Hyman, how about going all in on Alexander Ovechkin? How would you like that? Wouldn't that be fun? Have Ovechkin for a year or two with the Edmonton Oilers? I mean, he's still one of the top, what, three goal scorers in the game? <laughs> Certainly top five. Uh, you know, I think the assumption there, and I, and I imagine that texture is having some fun. To me, that's kind of one of those uh, fantasy hockey situations. Uh, I, I think the assumption there is that he'll he'll stay with the Washington Capitals, who he's played his entire career with. But that that would be something if Ovechkin said, "I'm coming to Edmonton. I'm coming for a year or two, and I'm just going to stand there and shoot the puck, taking passes from McDavid and Drysaitel." But uh, I think Zach Hyman is a, a more realistic target for the Edmonton Oilers. So with Mike Smith, it's uh, a two-year deal, going to be around $2 million per season. 
Uh, I certainly uh, understand the question, why two years for a 39-year-old goaltender? Well, I think coming off a very strong season, Smith wanted two years. Uh, I mean, why not? If you're the athlete, play as long as you can, get as much money as you can. Um, I, I, I guess here's the thing. If, if, if Ken Holland holds firm on saying, I just want you for a year, and Mike Smith says, well, then I'm going to look around and, and gets a contract somewhere else, whether it's for a year or two or just one he likes better, then how are you feeling about Miko Koskinen as your, as your goaltender? So I, I think that's probably why Smith got the two years, though I get it. He's an older player. You, you wonder about contract length at that point in his career. All right. We will welcome Gord Stellick to the show. For more on Zach Hyman, I'll uh, get to some of your feedback as well. Some more text starting to roll in. More Inside Sports ahead. And I'll be on with you tomorrow. We're going to call it our draft coverage, though, from 5 to 9. Bob Stoffer and I will be on the air. And then 10 to noon on Friday to keep you updated on rounds 2 through 7. The Oilers do not have a pick in uh, round 2, don't have a pick in round 3. We'll see if that uh, could change. You never know if there might be a trade or two along the along the way. As, uh, as we know, over the last few years, draft time is often more exciting than trade deadline time for some of the marquee trades. We'll see if that plays out again this weekend. Got a special guest standing by. Just quickly, I want to read some texts here because it'll lead nicely into my next guest. Terry writes in. He says, I'm a Leaf fan, but I love listening to your show. Well, Terry, thanks for that. He says, Zach Hyman is a heck of a player. I was hoping the Leafs would re-sign him, but not on an eight-year deal at five or more million. His knee injury worries me. Hope he does work out for the Oilers. Now, again, he is not, uh, he is not an Edmonton Oiler at the moment, though it could be going in that direction. Former D-man Mark says... Uh, Here's the issue I have with Zach Hyman. He's 29. Edmonton seems to want to sign him for seven or eight years. The cap of five and a half or slightly years at eight, uh, or slightly less at eight years isn't terrible. That is, if he can deliver 40 or more points a season. I've heard people say the cap will go up, so then it won't be so bad. But how about will he be able to produce at age 35, 36, or 37? It would be a great contract three years ago. Again, I'll say it. He's 29. That's from former D-man Mark. And another texter says, how far north of Taylor Hall's number would it have to be to sign Hyman to four or five years, or is he signing a seven- or eight-year deal only, worried that he would be bought out in year four if the oil offers seven or eight? Yeah, it looks like Hall's going to get $6 million a year over four years. I think that's the latest report I saw. Ken Holland did you know, reference today, if you can lower the AAV by uh, spreading out the uh, or by lengthening the contract, then he might look at doing that um look the Oilers obviously want to try and get something done here sooner rather than later I I mean they know they got two awesome players they know they got a passionate but long-suffering fan base that doesn't want to see uh first round exits every year they want to see the Oilers do some damage in the playoffs you know they they know that McDavid is going to be an unrestricted free agent in five years so I think they'd certainly like to do some damage in that time so, you know, I think Ken Holland is thinking if it's Zach Hyman and the way to get him is by offering him an extra year or two, it sounds like he's willing to do that. Which leads me nicely into Gord Stellick from Leafs Lunch and Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Gord, thanks for hopping on my show, man. How are you doing? 
Well, I'm doing great. Boy, it, it, the Edmonton Oilers situation sounds so much like the Toronto Maple Leaf situation. You know, uh, uh, loaded up front, trying to settle, figure things out on D, and a fan base that really is tired of not making the playoffs or first-round exits. Yeah, well, and I, and I want to talk to you about the Leafs situation too because obviously that was, uh, uh, you know, tragic first-round losses for both our clubs in different ways a couple of months ago for sure. I, I will start here. You know, and you're a former GM and you're an excellent observer of the game. Let's say I'd never seen Zach Hyman play uh, or someone, you know, is trying to familiarize themselves with Zach Hyman. What would your scouting report be of the young man? Well, it certainly surprised me. He's consummate, you know, the, the consummate team guy that goes out and does whatever it takes as far as digging the, pit, the puck up to uh, out to feed the star players. And that's something Mike Babcock talked about you know, Pavel Datsuk always talked him in Detroit. You can't just have snipers. Someone's got to go dig the puck out. And, and that was what, you know, he was renowned for, for being unafraid to go in the greasy corners, not being pretty, the ever-ready, ever-ready uh, charger, bunny, rabbit, whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden, two years ago, he started scoring goals. Like, he started doing like Brad Marchand's done, like whatever, up, up his goal-scoring total on top of it. So, you know, uh, there's bigger marquee names. John Tavares was a first-round pick, not by the Leafs. Austin Matthews was another first overall pick like Tavares. Marner, high first-round pick. Nylander, high first-round pick. You know, uh, Hyman's a guy who was drafted later by the Florida Panthers and came over at a nondescript trade. So uh, so on the ice, I described him. But the other intangible, he's one of those guys that you, you love to see, jumps up from the minor leagues and then right away swims in this for whatever reason, assimilates himself and swims in the deep end of the NHL pool. So maybe this is a bit of a obtuse question but i'll throw it at you anyway because i know you're a good fielder uh, uh does his game fit better with mcdavid or better with dry or is that maybe not an overly relevant concern well you, you know what's happening he, he, john Tavares, uh you know he, he's fit well with whomever Tavares, austin matthews you name it i mean uh in even uh played on the third line at times that way so really he's a hey those kind of guys, I mean, they can get the puck themselves. They're skilled players in that. But if you've got someone that can take advantage of their skill and feed them, you know, then then uh, that that's what he's done. So it's interesting because the Edmonton model is kind of like the Toronto model about high-end elite players. And that's why it's going to be a void in Toronto uh, not having the Zach Hyman. I, I don't know who replaces the Zach Hyman in Toronto if, in fact, as expected, this happens in Edmonton. Well, I, I'm encouraged, and look, his point total is quite respectable, and it's certainly a huge upgrade over Dominic Cahoon, for example, who basically was in that role last year. And and I like what you say about the puck retrieval and being able to get the puck to the big guys because too often with the Oilers, McDavid or Dreisaitl had to gain the zone and they had to chase down the loose puck, and then they, <laughs> and they had to get the shot away or get the pass away to somebody else. So it, it'd be good to have that uh, that element of someone along the wall a little bit. Well, no, uh, no, absolutely. And, and to go back to your point, you're discussing and reading some of the text, though. Uh, and again, I'm not in Ken Holland's shoes, so obviously the security is a huge factor in what is going to sway Zach Hyman to come to Edmonton or not. But, but you're right, contractually, uh, anybody over, say, 26, 27, I, I'm not giving seven or eight-year contracts if I can avoid it. But if that's what the price it takes in the short term, and you mentioned McDavid has five years left, Austin Matthews has three years left before his UFA. So, I mean, they're in, and, we're, and we're not saying those guys are both going to leave their respective teams. But, yeah, you, you expect to get somewhere big when you have those guys. I mean, these are the best 
the two best number one overall picks in a long, long time. I mean, it's not it's not like Nico Heischer or someone like that, and that's not disrespecting him. So, so it's it's like so with two teams being kind of similar, this is a big gain for the Edmonton Oilers and a big loss for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, it is. I mean, somebody just texted it. How does Toronto let this guy go? <laughs> I mean, they just they, they just out of they just out of money, aren't they? I mean, is it? Is well, yeah, that the you know, and, and totally, totally. And uh, uh, you like he took a four-year contract at two point two five million. He kind of took. I never like using the word hometown discount or a haircut when you're talking seven figures, but you know, we, it's all relative. But his belief was. You know, there was a team concept, and the Boston Bruins, I use them as an excellent example because Tampa Bay, it's understood. You know, they won a couple of Stanley Cups and that, so you really want to be there, and they always talk about the no-state tax. Well, in, in Boston, that's an expensive city to live in, okay? And so many guys want to be there and have, you know, made certain deals that are, again, team-friendly. It's more team-friendly to have team success, and that's why Taylor Hall is keen to stay on there. In Toronto, Zach Hyman did that. Nobody else did. William Nylander went tooth and nail till the 11th hour to get his. Mitch Marner was able to hit the mother load. Austin Matthews did as well. They're all great players, though. I mean, there's no, there's no dog contract among them. But you run out of money. And next year, it could be Morgan Riley that you're out of money. His contract's up at $5 million. And these are important guys. Like, these are important players to have, much like I mentioned those Boston players. I mean, Morgan Riley and Zach Hyman. Like, you know, if you're going to grow and evolve as a team, you need guys that are day oneers. Even though Zach Hyman was drafted by Florida, he's basically a day one or least. Like it, like you know, look at Tampa. You know, look at those teams. Like they, they have you have to have a decent co- uh, quantity of those guys. Yeah, well, and I think that's been an issue for the Oilers too. I mean, they, you look at their. I know a lot has gone wrong, especially when they missed the playoffs ten years in a row. Their their draft record has not been strong. So then you're scrambling for free agents or trades to to try to fill in those holes. Hopefully some of the recent draft picks are going to pan out. Gord Stelich joining us tonight from Leafs Lunch, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, talking about the possibility, and again, it has not actually happened, but it, it, it could happen, of Zach, uh, Zach Hyman becoming an Edmonton Oiler. Okay, you referenced that maybe some similarities between these two teams with, uh, with goal prevention being an issue. Uh, you know, the Oilers have brought Mike Smith back. They have lost Adam Larson, which I think is a significant loss. They'll have to do something there. What are the Leafs doing, or what can they plan to do to improve uh, their goal prevention in the season ahead? Yeah, no, I mean, you mentioned a tough one with Oscar Clefbaum being hurt too, and, you know, I see about Tyson Berry when you talk about Edmonton, and that's kind of the dilemma the Leafs have faced the last couple of years. T.J. Brody was um, uh, a real pleasant acquisition last year. That was a good read, fit in really well, and Justin Hall's been the pleasant surprise. Like, up front, your Zach Hyman fill-in, you want to be like Zach Hyman was six years ago or like Justin Hall, for whatever reason, has found himself able to do with the Leafs the last couple of years. So they went with the 4-4 four, four, uh, four, four, uh, protecting players rather than 3-7, and seven, which cost you two spots up front. But that's how highly they think of Justin Hall. And the next thing is Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Lilligren. You know, you've got the same thing at Edmonton about the young D. And particularly, these are both first-round picks. So at some point... You know, you're hoping they're able to make that jump to the NHL. So, you know, that's what you know, that's what they have. You throw in Jake Muzzin that way, you throw in Morgan Riley on a on a contract year, and and it's 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 a decent enough core. Zach Bogosian, I, I don't think he's coming back and man, he was a really good find for what, one million dollars or something like that. But but again, it'll come down to those two younger players and Travis Dermott is still there as well. So it's not an elite core, but it's it's a good enough core. And hopefully it's like if, if everybody can kind of up their game 10 or 15 or 20%, uh, which quite often happens on a winning team. Like you get a winning team going 
and it's easier to up your game when you have confidence and all these other kinds of things, then that would be huge for the decor. How did you, and we'll flash back here because you mentioned it, and, and look, we, we know what it's like in Canada when you have a tough playoff loss. It becomes part of the team's lore, for, for better or for worse. Why, why couldn't they finish it off against the Canadians? Was it, was it just Carey Price? And, and I, know somebody, I know some Toronto people have said that they, they just didn't show up in Game 7, that it wasn't an inspired effort. How, how did you look at all that? Yeah, you know, Reed, it's it's funny because uh, only one team has a satisfactory ending to the season. They hoist the Stanley Cup. But you have others like the Florida Panthers, Minnesota Wild that, you know, are, are happy enough with their, their playoff effort. Boy, in that Scotia North division, like I always said, there's going to be two pissed off teams that don't make the playoffs. And I wasn't including Ottawa because they're in the rebuild. And obviously the Calgary and Vancouver fans are that way. Well, then all three of the other fan bases felt the same the way they got eliminated. Horrible ways, like to be swept in four, like uh, what happened with Edmonton, what happened with Winnipeg, or to be up 3-1 and lose three in a row and not be able to close it out with Toronto. Just horrible, horrible ways to end a season. And read this is twice. This happened against Columbus last year. Okay, a couple of years ago, they had a chance to uh, win against Boston in Game 6, a great chance to close them up. They're up one nothing. didn't do it. Then the usual Game 7, which... Anything can happen, so they lost. Okay, so be it. Last two years, uh, disappointing, discouraging, uh, inexcusable, um, and unbelievable lack of whatever the it factor is in the playoffs, and particularly in the fifth and deciding game against Columbus in the bubble and the seventh and deciding game against the Montreal Canadiens. Like games five and six, they dug themselves a hole, they came back, and then they blew it with a, with a, with a gaffe in overtime. Okay, fine, it's still not a you know and i'm tired stop the john Tavares injury that was a very graphic moment that was horrifying when you saw it the good news is he's okay everybody has injuries please stop the but big on making excuses that way you're up 3-1 without john Tavares. okay you come back and won those games and that's the disappointing part and and um you know in edmonton case i think there's a little bit more optimism given what was expected and you know where they went in that in toronto's case Fans are walking around like they've taken a standing eight count in a boxing ring. You know that feeling where you go to the corner for, you're not knocked out, but you know, can wait eight seconds and then see if you can fight again, whatever. Because it's just, it's not, it's not even breaking down the minutiae of certain games. It's like, really? Do you guys, do you, guys you know, I, I, I never question the heart of players and that. I'm not doing it here because up to those last three games, they had a great season. It was a great season. They did everything right. Everything, you know, first place overall, uh, first place in the division and coming back and getting signature wins when they most needed them and that. And then when you, you know, when you're writing your final exam and it counts for 50% of your mark and you get five on it, so you flunk the course, that's right. basically what they did. <laughs> that's an interesting way to put it. I, I might steal that one, borrow for some of my analysis. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> no Gord, before, bef- before I let you go, I, I always try to get a story from, uh, your, your time in the front office uh, with the Leafs in the late 80s. I, I believe you were at the helm for the 1988 draft. Uh, Leafs took Scott Pearson. There were some pretty good players that went in the next five picks. Uh, what do you remember about that year, if anything, and taking Pearson? Well, I, I do remember there's some really good players like Rod Brindamore and Jeremy Roenick and Bill Guerin that went. We did get Ty Domi in the second round, and that was considered a surprise because he wasn't ranked in the top three rounds by Central Scouting. And we were watching him play in Peterborough with a guy named Mike Ricci and really was improving him game, his game there. So happy with that one. It's funny. Uh, you look at that first round and after, uh, uh, and after Medano and Trevor Linden, like Quebec had two picks, third and fifth, and they got what uh, Curtis decision and Daniel Dory. Pittsburgh got Darren Shannon. 
you know, and so we spent the night debating uh, about uh, taking, uh, was it Martin Jelena or, or, uh, or Scotty Pearson? And, um, and, and we went back and forth, back and forth about that. We, we, we liked him, Ontario Hockey League kid, tough kid that way. Uh, I got to say, you know, we didn't have the resources. Uh, a lot of teams didn't then to scout Timo Solani in Europe or, you know, some of the uh, American you know, guys that way. Uh, so, uh, you know, we were a little bit limited that way. Scott Pearson was a really, really good young man. You had him in Edmonton later on, and he lives in Atlanta now. I actually keep in touch with him that way. But uh, we, we were happy to get him in the draft. But it's funny, just, you know, like like picks three through through our pick were, 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 were guys that didn't really pan out. And then there was about seven or eight that, uh, you know, really – uh, a bevy of guys that had solid NHL careers, starting with Bill. Ger- uh, I got. I'm getting my drafts wrong. Uh, Bill Guerin was another year, but starting with those other guys like Brindamore and Timo Solani and and uh, and I guess was it. I don't know if Jeremy yeah, Roenick was year, eighth. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, Roenick was eighth. Yeah, yeah, boy, the pain, the pain, the pain. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy Roenick. You, you, you like those guys. Pat Lafontaine had done it earlier. That you know, there was a big question about what, how, how you graded American high school hockey. So. You know, guys would come and play in the Quebec, usually the Quebec Junior Hockey League, but you know, Mike Medano did it and came out and played in Prince Albert. Like, you know, that was sort of a bit more of a litmus test back then to, you know, uh, get into the uh, more competitive hockey back then. So anyway, uh, you know, fun, 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 fun memories. Uh, Ty, Ty Domi's my best memory uh, about that in the second round. Yeah. Gord, I always love having you on. Thanks for checking in tonight. I know it's a little later out there for you. Hope your show is uh, going well. Hope you're having a great summer. Let's do this again soon. Anytime, Reed. Pleasure. Gord Stelic checking in from Sports uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. So, you know, he said what I'm sure a lot of you are thinking. Zach Hyman would help the Oilers, but man, oh man, at the age of 29, and he just turned 29 on June 9th, seven or eight year deal. It appears that is what is on tap if indeed he does become an Edmonton Oiler. To sign him to eight years, he'd have to be Oilers' property uh, to get that extension, so they'd have to work out some sort of a a trade with Toronto here in the next five or six days. 780-496-0063. It's an interesting one to discuss. You'll hear more from Ken Holland as well. It's Inside Sports on Chet. likely going to be outdated uh, very soon. Ken Holland saying today that unlikely that Jujar Kara will get a qualifying offer from the Oilers and uh, that would mean he be, would become an unrestricted free agent. Don says, good interview with Stelic from Toronto. Happy you didn't run down the Leafs as you sometimes do. LOL. That's from Don. I am a bit of a troll with the Leafs sometimes. Leafs and Rough Riders. I can't help myself sometimes. I, I apologize in advance. We'll go to the Certainteed Hotline. Jeff has called in. Jeff, go ahead. Hi, Reed. Uh, I'm just curious about the carry price where they did not protect him for Montreal. Either that was, was that, if you can tell me, was that something that was set up in advance where you knew about it and no hard feelings? They felt that he wouldn't be taken? Or yep. does that leave him just absolutely sour with the organization? Well, they had to ask him to waive his no move clause to be available. Uh, I don't think that they would be sour because I, I, I think that the Habs were gambling that they wouldn't take price because he makes so much money. 
and because there are some injury concerns. So it, it sounds like Price un- understood the risk, and he probably would have been okay with going to Seattle if it happened. I just saw a lot of reports that he was uh, very likely someone that they actually would take, if not just to be a marquee player for the fans or what have you. But that, would, to yep. me, was a heck of a risk for Montreal from a fan standpoint. Yeah. Would you cheer for the Haps? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know. Did you hear Brian Wild on with me the other night from Global Montreal? No, I did not. Yeah, he's he's always good. And I said, what does your gut tell you, Brian? And he said, I don't think they'll take Price just because he would take up 13% of their salary cap. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a lot when you look at it that way. I understand the price cap, but for a startup team to have a marquee player like that, like you say, that, 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 that draws fans. That, that's a banner. Well, yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. I think it would have been interesting if it would have went there. Like, that's one of the best players of the last 20 years starting off your franchise. Oh, I hear you. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, 780-496-0063. If you want to talk to me like Jeff just did, get to some of your texts as well. We'll discuss uh, Zach Hyman, more from Ken Holland. Jody Shelley's coming up all ahead. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.